Welcome to Valley Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message, and we would love for you to join us on Sunday mornings at 1030. We're located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After listening to this message, take a moment to browse our website for current and upcoming events. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. One thing I'm really excited about during this series is I get to show different pictures from Athens and Corinth and Greece where Paul went and some different pictures from different places that as Paul's missionary journeys happen that we get to see because we often forget that these are real places. This is real history. And when we actually see a place, we you know our mind's eye just kind of narrows in on that and says, wow, this it's really there. These really were people. These really were God's disciples and God's acts on this world, uh, in this world. So, Well, I don't know if you've taken the chance. Last week I challenged you to read the whole book of Acts this past week. And if you did, you saw some very exciting things happen. You saw the progression, uh, progression of the ascension of Christ to, to Pentecost, the beginning of the church to the stoning of, of Stephen, and, and we see how Paul was impacted that, but we don't really see that until later. We see the ministry of Peter and all the stuff that is ingrained in Peter's Jewishness, all the things that, that he grew up learning, and, and oftentimes we kind of relate this to, to ourselves and, and certain denominations and the way we grow up, and, and we're so dogmatic on denomination styles instead of what the Bible has to say about it. That it's almost like Peter's Jewishness. It's just ingrained in him, and sometimes it just has to be you know, blown away by the Spirit of God. The disciples were blown away by what Jesus said and did and, and what He had to, to do on this earth and, and how He did it. But it also continues after the ascension. When we get to the place where, where Peter's actually with Cornelius, Peter's dealing with you know, the, the prejudice that I was talking about, people who, who are not Jewish coming to, to the faith. And Peter had to, had to really, you know, just really just grapple with that. So many of us have to come through some type of prejudice to really understand the mind of God. And then we study the life of Paul and all those around him. And and it's really exciting because Paul had quite a life. And and then Acts just kind of abruptly just ends. It's almost like, yep, we'll we'll write more later. Now, I'm not saying we're writing more adding on to the Bible, but what we're saying is the Holy Spirit is writing more of the history of God through you and I, through His acts in us. So if you hadn't read the whole book of Acts, I say go for it. Now, last week I said it would take 30 minutes. Okay, well, not quite 30 minutes. Probably a lot longer. Well, not a lot longer, but a little, little while longer than 30 minutes. But it's still worth the effort. So let's jump into it. Acts 1.1. In my former book, Theophilus, or Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And we won't go through everything we taught last week, but a quick review. This is Luke writing, and, and you know, the same guy who, bro- who wrote the book of, of Luke. And the same guy who Paul will hook up later with and, and, you know, in future chapters. And, you know, it's a, Paul's a fascinating guy. He's not one of the 12 disciples, and he's not even Jewish. Uh, you know, here's a, a Gentile. Well, I mean, we're talking about Luke here. Luke is, is not, not even Jewish, and he's a Gentile writing 25% of the New Testament. 
a very organized writer. Uh, it's very easy to, to read this, and we see the Lord using his gifting. Luke is a medical doctor, and, Luke, and, and the Lord uses his education. And I'm amazed at how often the Lord does this. No matter where we are in life, whether we go through book education or whether we just go through life education, the Lord can use the things in our life for His purpose. No matter what you are and what you do in life, He has taught you certain things that He can use to affect His kingdom. And for Luke, it was his education. And he meets up with Paul and they become very, very good friends later on. And, and, and you know, this is what's really cool. Because guys, it's really cool for us to see this. Because for guys, it's very hard for us. For some reason, the, the ladies have no problem making friends, right? The ladies can, you know, make a ton of friends. Now, sometimes you've got to find those one or two really, really deep friendships. But for guys, for some reason, they don't always make friends. And it's good for us to see people like Luke and Paul come together in Christ and start to see male friendships go deep. And we see this through both these guys. For women, you just meet for coffee and you just talk and talk and talk and, you know, and talk. As somebody else said down here, and I won't mention their name, Randy. So Luke is writing to his non-Jew friend about what has happened. And he says, I wrote all about, or about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And the word began is very important. He is saying that that just because Jesus died on the cross doesn't mean he is no longer working here. Verse 2, it says, Until the day he is taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he has chosen, after suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So the disciples here really go through a lot there. And really, we, we, we think of, of this as the beginning of, uh, of the disciples, uh, you know, this, this group of 12, uh, the beginning of their ministries. And, and we really think of it, only these guys, only these 12 here. But really, you've got to think of it, it's more than 100 people at this point. At one time, it was more than 1,000 people who were traveling with Jesus. So no wonder why the Pharisees and, and the religious leaders were getting upset because, I mean, this guy was a traveling, you know, uh, whatever you want to call it. I mean, people just followed him and flocked to hear what he said. Anytime somebody shows up at a town with 1,000 people following him, you want, most people are kind of curious about it. So they go down and listen to him. So the religious people are upset. But he started to say some hard things at certain points, and some of them started to fall away. So these, for lack of a better phrase, are the hardcore followers of Jesus. There's about 120 of them left at this point, And you had the 11 disciples who were very close to Jesus there. Because the one disciple who wasn't close to Jesus, who thought that Jesus ought to be doing something differently, betrayed him. And that man's name was Judas. He wasn't there. He wasn't close at all with Jesus. But out of that 12, you have Peter, James, and, and John, who were very close to Jesus. And Jesus doesn't apologize for this. Jesus doesn't apologize for having a closer relationship with these three uh, versus the, the other 11. He just does it for some reason. He needed close friends just like everybody else did. I'm amazed at how many people react to, to when a pastor has close friends. I saw this at my old church, you know, big time, because, uh, you know, my pastor, he, he had a small group that he always hung out with, and people would just say stuff. People just, okay, all he does, he hangs out. And I'm just like going, come on. You, you have friends, don't you? Well, he has friends too. 
we, we see this through, through almost every church. Is, you know, we, we get the, this kind of thought pattern going that the leader shouldn't have certain close friends. But Jesus doesn't seem to apologize at the different levels of relationships. He just kind of flows with it. Jesus also doesn't seem to, to be close with, you know, for, with his real family for a long time. Now that changes. At this point, they've, they've come around to, to believe in who he is. But for a long time, he didn't have that close relationship. So Luke tells us that Jesus presented himself after the suffering, which is neat for us to see. You might remember that, that Peter and John saw Jesus literally beaten. So they saw the pain that he went through. They saw the suffering that he went through. I mean, especially Peter. Think about this. He was denying Jesus when Jesus was right over there being beaten. He was denying Jesus. Imagine the pain that he went through there. He will tell you that that was a really hard day for him. Because he started out telling Jesus what? <laughs> I would never betray you. He pulled Jesus you know, aside and, and says, you know, uh, I got a list of, of those who might betray you, but I'm not one of those. I'm not, you know, these other disciples. I don't know. Then he falls asleep in the garden while he's praying. And then he gets up, wakes up, and, and they come to arrest Jesus. He pulls out a sword and he cuts a guy's ear off. And Jesus has to heal the guy for Peter, which is kind of interesting. You know, think about it. Jesus has to heal a guy from Peter's ministry. Ever done that? Lord, I'm going to help you. And then we go and chop some guy's ear off. Maybe not literally, but figuratively. Here we're in the middle of ministry and we actually hurt somebody. And the Lord is thinking, Peter, just go back to sleep. You're not helping me here. You know, they have found the high priest uh, house, Caiaphas' house. And I've got a couple of pictures of it. They built a, a huge church over it at this point. Next time we go, hopefully, those that are able to go to Israel with us, we'll be able to go to this place. We didn't this last time, but I really want to. It's very interesting. Because there's a place in the bottom, kind of the dungeon area, if you want to call it that, lower region of the house, that literally has two hooks or, or two rings on the wall. And one of those two rings, Jesus Christ literally was tied to, waiting to be tried. He shed his blood right there. And Peter would have been standing very near it when he said to the young woman, I don't know that guy. I don't know who he is. To me, I, I'm not one of the followers. But you know what was really neat? Jesus appeared to these guys. Because Peter wasn't the only one to betray Jesus. I mean, the other guys, they headed for the hills, they hid under the beds, they just got out of there. But it's really neat to see Jesus appear to these guys. And this is what I really love about Jesus. When we fail Him so miserably, and we do sometimes, don't we? We just fail Him so miserably, He just comes back to us. Have you ever really failed the Lord? You might even know it when it's happening. Or you might wake up two weeks, two years later going, wow, I really messed that up way back when. And you start to wonder if Jesus will ever come back and talk to you again. Ever come back and have a relationship with you. Because if you were Jesus, you wouldn't, right? 
You would go out and find some friends who, who wouldn't fail you. Or you would create some. Think about that for a second. We always say, well, I'm going to go out and make some new friends. Jesus literally could make some new friends. Poof, a perfect friend. But he doesn't do that. He appears to us after the suffering. And he hung around with them for 40 days. In fact, there's a 50-day period there, 40 days from Passover, that he appears to them during that time, and then 10 days in the upper room that he appears with them. On the day of Pentecost, and, and pente means 50, and we talk about Pentecost, we'll talk about that for probably about two or three weeks as we study through this book, but, but you know, we might even start celebrating Pentecost more. Christmas we do so well, don't we? We decorate for Christmas, and, and we talk about how not to get too carried away with the gifts and, and really concentrate on what Christmas, you know, the meaning for that is. We do the same for Easter. But after Easter, about seven weeks later, is, is, a, is, is something we should celebrate called Pentecost. The Holy Spirit fell on 120 people and changed this world. One of the main reasons why so many people joined the church after Peter preached, I mean, other than it being God's plan, you know, I mean, of course, God planned for, for, for people to flock to His church because the Holy Spirit was calling to them and they responded. But one of the main reasons was the fact that everyone in Jerusalem knew that Jesus had resurrected. I mean, the Romans knew, the religious leaders knew, everyone knew, because there were so many eyewitnesses to the fact. It wasn't until all those witnesses died that we talked about last week, before it was started to be disputed. But Jesus beat death. And when Peter preaches in Acts 2, 3,000 people give their heart to Christ. And this is how the church is born. So the entire New Testament church is founded on eyewitnesses to the death, I mean to the life, the, the death, the burial, and the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ. This is a powerful group of people. When they talked, people listened to them. Some of them are named, many are not. You know, I, I think one day we'll be sitting around in heaven and... We'll be thinking, well, I'm so-and-so, and we'll be introducing ourselves, and, and, and they'll say, oh, well, I'm, I'm such-and-such, and, and, and we'll be thinking, man, I always get stuck at the table with the nobodies. And then we'll realize that the guy sitting next to us, he was one of those that, that helped start the church of Philippi. Or he was one of those that were, were there when the, when the Holy Spirit came down and, and changed the lives of this world. Or somebody who was beaten for their faith. Or somebody who walked with Jesus. That is going to be so exciting. It's going to be just so unbelievable. So in verse 3, it says that he was teaching about them about the kingdom of God. And this is an interesting thing. Jesus had, had come against the Jewish teaching because, uh, you know, they taught that the kingdom of God was only for Jews. The kingdom of God was a Jewish thing. But they had missed it. Because the kingdom of God is so much broader than what we can imagine. We like to put God in a little box. That's what the Jewish leaders did. But we're going to see, you know, Peter go from a disciple who argued with Jesus to a man who becomes incredibly good at what he does. His fishing days are completely over. Or really they've just become, begun because he's now fishing for men. 
It goes on and says, He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them a command, Do not leave Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem is, is very hot for them right now. It's really, not be, you know, it's really not good for them to be hanging around because you know, the, the Romans, they've heard about you know, the, the resurrection of Christ. So there's a lot of issues going on here. And you know, who are the disciples? And So they're looking out for these guys. So it's really you know, not, not a good place to be. The Romans didn't like it when they crucified people and they came back to life. Just too much paperwork involved. Wait, wait, wait. You're telling me that that's the same guy? Well, did he die? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I, I watched him die. I was right there. I was at the tomb. And then, I, well, I mean, you know, they came and got him. Wink, wink. I, you know, I fell asleep. Wait a second. You're telling me? So imagine the disciples. Jesus, you want us to stay in Jerusalem? You've got to be joking. They were t- probably thinking, oh, th- this is really not a great idea. But now they're serving their resurrected Lord who has the power over death. So they listen to him now. They're, they're no longer arguing with him. So he sends them right back to Jerusalem. It says, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days... You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So he begins to describe to them what the Holy Spirit is and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. At first he calls it baptism. It's where somebody says, hey, I'm a follower of Christ. And, and you let somebody baptize you. And it represents you know, you know, going down into the water, being immersed. It represents death. And, and coming back, it represents the, you know, the, the resurrection of Christ, the dying to self, surrounded by water, but no longer dead. So he says, it's going to be like that. It's going to be an immersion of the Holy Spirit, like immersion in water, baptized in the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, it says, So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? So now they ask the question that's been on everybody's mind. And it's still on our mind today. And this was really Judas's problem. Israel was looking for the Messiah to to come and and be a good Jewish person who met all the criteria who would fight off the Roman oppressors. That's who the the religious leaders were looking for. So you you know who will be the Messiah. He'll be the one coming in riding on a colt. And everyone's waving the palm branches. And, and you can imagine Judah, Judah thinking, this is it. This, the time has come. He's finally going to do it. Finally, finally, finally. He will overthrow the Romans now. These other guys don't get it. But I do. Did you know that Judas was the only non-Galilean he was a city boy. He wasn't a. He wasn't. A, you know. He wasn't raised in in Judea, or he was raised in Judea. And Judea is very exciting. He wasn't raised in Galilee. You know, those are just you know a bunch of country bumpkins out there. Those other disciples, they don't get it. But at the end of of what we call Palm Sunday, it was like a light switch went off for Judas because Jesus got off the donkey, and what did he do? He went back out of the city with his disciples. He wasn't there to overthrow the oppressors right then. 
Judas wanted him to ride the donkey right into the, the, the Herodian, or the, the, right into the palace. He has seen Jesus calm storms. He has seen Jesus raise people from the dead. He has seen Jesus feed 5,000 people. He had seen Jesus' power. But he takes the word of power and he puts it somewhere where it shouldn't belong. And we do this both with Jesus and the Holy Spirit, don't we? We, we misuse him. Lord, I want you to go where I want you to be. I want you to do it how I would do it. We're not supposed to tell the Holy Spirit how to do things. Our job is to figure out how the Holy Spirit works and work within those parameters. So it would have been nice to, to have them, you know, have for them to, to you know, the, have the Romans off their backs. Because with the Romans, you couldn't just worship Yahweh. You had to worship Caesar. That's what the Romans said. So, if, you know, and to be Jewish was to worship Yahweh alone. And then you kind of had a double whammy for the Christians because you have the Romans saying you've got to worship Caesar. And you got the Jews saying you can worship Yahweh, but you can't worship Christ. You can't worship this guy who calls himself God. That's blasphemy. So his followers are, are saying, is this when you're going to take charge? And straighten all this mess out? This sounds totally like our prayers. Lord, is this finally when you're going, you know, is going to be when I, when you do what I tell you? I mean, I mean, when I ask, I mean, when I tell, but I'm, I'm really asking, but I'm really telling what you should do? Well, they have no idea how limited their prayers are at this point. And we so relate to this. Sometimes our prayers are so often too small. Oftentimes, the, the greatest thing that we can imagine is so much smaller than what God can do. Lord, in, in 2011, is this when my life comes together? Is this when I finally get that job that I really wanted instead of the stupid job that I have right now? Our prayers are sometimes just too small. And sometimes our prayers are just not even answered because God is doing so much, something so much greater than we could ever imagine. You know, sometimes God doesn't give us what we want right now, just as a parent doesn't give a child everything they want. If my parents gave me everything that I wanted as a child, talk about being spoiled. Man. And we have such a problem when the roles are reversed. When we're the child and we're going to our Father in heaven and asking Him, and He's saying, not right now. But, 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 but God, I want it now, and, and I really don't need a nap. So Jesus says, it is not for you to know. You have this powerful, resurrected Jesus saying, I am not going to tell you. And it's so frustrating sometimes when Jesus doesn't perform for us, isn't it? It's so frustrating when we ask, we go to Him in a prayer and we expect it to be done. And God's like, that's not how I'm going to do it. I'm praying for my Father to be healed. He's going to be healed one way or the other. He's either going to be healed here on earth or healed when He gets to heaven. He's going to be healed. It may not be the way I want it done, but it's going to be done one way or the other. Because God is all-powerful God. So He tells them, Stay here. Don't run to Galilee. And for some of us, this is really it. 
For some of us, he's saying, stop running. You've been running for way too long from me. You've been going from place to place and you're just running and running. Stop and stay. That's what he's telling them. You know, God has a place for us sometimes. These guys are going to pour out onto the streets where, they're crucified, where they crucified their Lord a week before. But they're going to have the Holy Spirit in them. In verse 7 it goes on and says, He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by His own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judah and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Well, this is a scripture that many of us know very well. First of all, Jesus is saying something like, you will or you shall. And and when Jesus says something like that, it will happen. You don't have to worry about whether this is going to happen or not. Timing is always interesting with the Lord, but it always happens. He says to them, you're going to receive power. Look at receive power. Those two words there. You will see it in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Greek, it's lambano dunamos. Receive means to to grip or to grasp or to hold on to. This is what my son is learning to do when he grabs my wife's hair and just kind of pulls. And we just love it. Now, if he does that when he's 12, he'll be disciplined for it. But right now, it's to receive, to grasp onto it. You're going to receive something and grasp it. And the word power is interesting because, you know, it's, that's what they're asking for. Look at verse 6. That's what they're asking for. But it's political power that they were thinking. But he uses a different word here, dunamos, which means ability and strength. So they're praying for rescue. But I'm going to leave you strength, he says. They're praying for solutions that they've already dreamed up. They've already dreamed up and planned out. And he's saying, I'm going to throw those things away and I'm going to give you a backbone to deal with the pain that you're going to go through because my plans are so much bigger than your plans. We've got to get beyond the... I can't believe that our God in heaven is going to allow this to happen. We've got we to go beyond that. That is immaturity talking. And it is very human. It's very human to say, my situation is painful, so why, God, why do I have to go through this? That is immature. And we say these things when, when we get, you know, really come under pressure sometimes. Well, he did call it baptism. And then he switches to what? He says, the Spirit will come upon you. And he's defining it for them. So when it happens, and it happens several times in the book of Acts, at least five, uh, five different times that I counted just in, in perusing through it really quickly. And each time something different happens. So there's no one central pattern. It doesn't have to be, this is how the Holy Spirit works, because when we do that, we put it into a box. We put God into a box. Luke says, you receive, the pow- the, receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. It's interesting that Luke also wrote uh, like this when he talked about Mary. Go back to Gabriel's conversation at the beginning of Luke, and and you will see Gabriel, the angel, say to Mary that, you know, the Spirit will come upon her. And this is what Jesus is saying to his disciples. 
And his mom Mary is, is in that room listening. She is part of the 100, 120. She's actually listed there. And it must be weird for Mary, the mom of Jesus, to hear the same words out of her son's mouth that 33 years before, before that the angel had said to her about how she is going to get pregnant. This is really a mystical thing. Now Jesus is saying it, and it has a whole different type of meaning. Jesus is saying a seed is going to be implanted in you, and the harvest is going to be the whole world. And the Holy Spirit is going to come on you and fill you up. And in in Acts chapter 2, we're going to see this. So so Jesus predicts all this, and he calls him him martus, which is the word witnesses. It's also where we get the word martyr from. But in Jerusalem, it's a very, you know, very hot place right now, politically and religiously. And then he goes on and says, and in all of Judea, and he's speaking geographically here, in all of Samaria and to the ends of the earth, which is very interesting because these guys were, were Galileans. They were not respected. They were country boys. They had an accent. When I moved to California, I had an accent. When I go back home, I get that accent back pretty quick. Everyone knew when they showed up. Hey, we'd like to sit right over there. Yeah, over in that booth. Everybody in the restaurant knew when the Galileans showed up. They're like, yeah, they're here. They're loud and boisterous. Judea, it's a, you know, it was an entire different you know, area, like a, like, a, you know, like a state, like, you know, like California or Texas. Or, you know, we think of states. It's Judea. And then there was Samaria. And this is really pushing the buttons here for you know, Samaritans. We think of the good Samaritans, but we don't understand how bad the Samaritans were looked upon. Because what they did was they took a, a mixture of Judaism and a mixture of the world's religion and they put them together. So the Jews literally would, would go through the high country to get to Jerusalem. In other words, they had to travel longer and it was a harder walk than to go down the valley. Why? That was where Samaria was. We don't go down there. We don't know. We won't even look at them. And he's saying, you're going to go to Samaria here. They're half-breeds. Samaria? Yeah, I'm sure. And it says, to the ends of the earth. And within 30 years, the gospel is recorded in over 32 nations in different writings. That's how far the kingdom of God went in 30 years. And hundreds of of churches started, like the Apostle Paul, and ends up in India in AD 52. Verse 9, it says, After he did this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Luke says that he didn't just disappear. They watched him go. And the cloud represents the essence and power of God. Think think back to, to Exodus, where the cloud led them. It was the power of God. Verse 10, it goes on and says, They were looking up uh, intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in, a white, uh, in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? And I'm sure they were standing there looking up in the sky with him going, Hey, why are you looking up into the sky? The same Jesus who is taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way You have seen him go into heaven. He is going to come back, he tells them. So from the beginning of the church, we have been waiting. They thought this day would happen 
any second, much like we kind of feel today, as we see more and more what we call labor pains for this, for this world, the groaning of Christ coming back. But what happened this year? I don't know. I'm going to be prepared. Will it happen in 30 years? I don't know. We don't know the day or time, but we do know that we're getting closer and closer. Verse 12, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill uh, called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. So this is less than a mile because certain rules on the Sabbath day and you couldn't walk more than a mile. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. I'm sure that uh, from that day forward, he was known as Judas, son of James. No, no, I'm not that Judas. I'm Judas, son of James. I'm not, I'm not the one that betrayed. I'm the other Judas. They all joined, uh, joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. And if you're looking for a list of all the 11 disciples, they're right here. During these 10 days, this is where they hung out most of the time. Now, did they come and go? I'm sure they did. They had to get food and stuff like that. But it's fascinating that they never went back to their jobs. They stayed right there. Some of them never went back to their homes. They went straight from there out to to the ends of the earth. Within months, they were spreading out to different countries. And then some of them just stayed right there. But they all joined together. This means they stopped fighting. Now, how many of you are argumentative? Raise your hand. I'm not going to raise my hand. I'm not, I'm not, yeah. Argumentative. Some of us are. I include me in that, okay? People tell you, man, you, you should have been a lawyer. Growing up, man, my parents, you're going to be a lawyer. I'd love to argue with them. I could always think of a better way. And I was always right. Imagine that. And it was tough learning about people in charge. Because even if they're wrong, they're still in charge. You either learned this or you didn't hold on to a job very long, did you? Or stay married? You know, these basic things. See, the disciples are starting to learn it right here. And if you look at who is in the room, men and women, the disciples of Jesus, the family of Jesus, and all the other followers of Jesus. It's a, it's a real good mixture here. Let's look at this for a second. You have the 11 of the 12, and they'll replace Judas here, in a, in, in, and I say in a minute, but in the scriptures is pretty quickly. But just these 11 guys are, you know, just them getting along, that's, that's pretty much a miracle in itself. I mean, am I right? You have Peter, right before the crucifixion, pulls Jesus aside and said, you know, I heard what you said, but, but I'll never deny you. But I have a list of those who might. I mean, this is, this is hilarious. You can rely on me, Lord. And the Holy Spirit fell on him. He started to get along with other people. And for those of, of us who, are, who sometimes can be abrasive, there's hope for us. Ask God to fall on you. I don't mean like a ton of bricks. 
I mean, it's Holy Spirit working in your life. But think about James and John. I mean, they're the sons of thunder. Not the easiest guys in the world to get along with. And then they had Mama Thunder. You know who Mama Thunder is, right? They're going along one day and Mama pulls Jesus aside and says, Hey, my two sons, they're going to be on your right and your left, right? I mean, she's brown-nosing for... I mean, you've you got to know the disciples were bickering about this. You've got to know that they... Can you believe what she did? They're trying to get ahead of us. And you know, that's what they were thinking. I want to be there. No, they're not going to get it. It's going to be for me. Even these 11 guys are in one accord. And that's just amazing. But it's not just these 11. There's 120 of them. And then you throw women into this mix. And be in one accord. You know, that is so interesting, isn't it? Peter's wife was probably there. Now, Peter had been following Jesus around, you know, having his ministry, but his wife is there, the other person who knows him the best. I could imagine this. It's not in the Scripture, but I can imagine this. Peter's about to say something, his wife just goes, Oh, hush. Anybody have a husband or a wife that acts like that? Don't raise your hand, please. What do you think? Peter married a weak woman? No. No way. This is Peter. She had to be strong to survive in that relationship. And she was probably in that room. You know who else was in that room? Joanna, wife of Cusa. This is Herod's, uh, Herod Steward, a very wealthy woman, very classy lady. She's in the upper echelon of, of power within the city and stuff. Sitting right beside, I could imagine, Mary Magdalene. Seven demons were cast out of her, a former prostitute, one of the closest followers of Christ. And here they're getting to know Jesus. And I'm sure there's stories going around that she doesn't even want to hear about because she is a classy lady. Don't even, no, I don't, I don't want to know that. Don't, don't even tell me that. Then you got Mary and Martha in the corner. You know, I need to make sandwiches for everybody's lunch. And Mary's sitting there going, well, I I just want to sit here and listen to Peter. Well, you would, wouldn't you? This is your pattern, isn't it? And then you have Mary, the mother of Jesus. Oh, man, I mean, this woman was so incredible. So you have all these people who could have been giving their input. But the Scriptures say that they were not arguing. They weren't bickering. You know, I'm kind of kidding about Mary, Mary and Martha because at this point, they're not like that anymore. You have Joanna embracing the former prostitute. These guys are learning that the kingdom of God, there is no male nor female, no Jew nor Gentile, no free, no Greek, I mean, no, no slave nor free. They're starting to learn what Paul would write later on. And they're beginning to respect one another across gender, across race, across the different classes of society, across what they totally used to be. Because now, they're just a bunch of sinners learning and living and doing ministry together. The Scriptures say they are all joined together. Or some, if you've got a different translation, they're one in one accord. You will find this phrase, one accord, or, or joined together 11 times in, in the book of Acts. It's homo thumadun. Homo meaning the same. And thumadun or thumos 
meaning mind or will or passion or drive. So they were all there together, 120 of them. They were of the same mind, the same passion, the same drive, the same will. Guys, this is such a a huge miracle. And it happens in in Acts chapter 2, 120 people getting together, you know, getting along for, for 10 days in one giant room. How big, you know, how big is your family? Do you all get along when you're all in one room? Some people are like, yeah, we got a close family. Other people are like, you got to be joking. We actually separate out in two rooms when we get together. You'll find some in the kitchen and some in the living room. And they hardly ever mix unless mom says, hey, let's come together and pray before the meal. Or dad says, hey, let's pray before the meal. 120 of them. You know, if you have multiple children, wouldn't this be great? I know my dad would have loved it because I can't tell you how many times he said stuff like, if you guys don't be quiet in the back of that car, I'm going to pull over. And he actually did a couple of times. Man, if us four boys could just be in one accord, amazing. One accord is a miracle. We are nothing if we cannot get to this place. Ironically, This happened before the Holy Spirit came down upon them. This was their desire. And God allowed them to have their desire. God gave it to them. Their work was to get along. You know, we go on retreats together and we're concerned with, who am I rooming with? Because I really don't want to room with that person. I'd rather room with this person. One accord? That's like 14 different accords. These guys are starting to get it. We're a family and this is all we got. Most of them were actually rejected by their families because they were following Jesus. Most of them lost their jobs. Unemployment was huge back then. We worry about it today. No, back in Roman times, unemployment was huge. Some of them lost their families over this. Some of them lost their their wife or their husband over this. Who said, you're you're crazy. I don't know what you're thinking, but this guy's wacko and you're crazy. Some of you have experienced the same thing. We are all we have, and we have got to start getting along. I'm amazed at how irritated we become with one another. I was talking with somebody today and about how often we forget about our own irritations. I'm so irritated at Randy. Man, Randy has such irritating qualities. But... Of course, me, Alan, I, I never have irritating qualities, do I? No, no, come on. So easy to recognize in others, but so hard in ourselves. Because with ourselves, we're so forgiving. Part of our job is to get along, like hammer and nails, working together. You got a nail, it doesn't do you much good. You got a hammer, it doesn't do you much good. You put them together, it does a lot of good. As long as you don't hit your thumb. But if we're not getting along, the teaching of our youth, of our children, is fruitless. Why? Because they watch us. They watch the adults. They watch the interaction. They have ears. They understand more than we think. When I was in junior high ministry, man, I, I was amazed. At, I'm thinking, these kids aren't getting the teaching. 
because I didn't teach at a junior high level. I just I taught the same as how I taught now, and and we had a group about 120 junior hires all running around, and I'm thinking they're, they're just not even listening. And then a parent will come to me two or three weeks later, and they'll be saying something. I'm thinking that's what I told them. I'm thinking, wow, these these kids really are listening. The kids really do listen. They watch and they understand more than we could ever think. This is rare for the early church. And why did it happen? Because they listened to the Lord. So if we could just listen to the Lord, we can, you know, get along long enough because, I mean, as Christians, we're saved. If we can just get along, then powerful things can happen amongst us and through us. But if we can't get along, real ministry just pretty much shuts down. It really does. I've seen it over and over in different churches. People not getting along and ministry just shuts right down. In our homes, we need to start to get along. We can't just come to church and be all nice and lovey-dovey with each other and then go home and scream at each other. It's not good. We have to get along. We can't go to the women's Bible study or the men's Bible study or or the group Bible study and then go home and, and be disrespectful to each other as husband and wives or as boyfriend or girlfriend or as families. We can't do that. Because we become phony when we do that. And the Lord will not move through a church where there are divisions. We have to nip these things in in the bud. You can't leave church and walk out and go to lunch and just go nip, 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 nip. I can't tell you how many times, and a couple of times here, many times in other places, that it comes back, well, at lunch, you wouldn't believe what we were talking about. And the attitude just comes right out. We've got to nip that stuff in the bud. Because God will not bless things like that. It says here, they're all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, Mary the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. They were all in one accord. That is our goal. That's what we should be doing. Well, we're out of time for today. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for, for families out here who have divisions. Especially families that are... where they're all Christians within the family. I pray that you allow them to come together under one accord. That you allow them to put the past in the past and, and move forward in relationships that we can come together under your love and your mercy and your grace and your forgiveness and be in one accord. I pray for our church relationships, Lord, that if there are divisions amongst us, that you bring those back together, that you not allow a wedge to get in there and divide even further. Because, Lord, I know you won't bless us when we're divided. We ask for your blessing, but we also know that we need to come together. I pray that we have the grace and the mercy to forgive one another. We have the grace and the mercy to to go to somebody and, and take our pride out of it. I pray, Lord, that we get to a point in this church where ministry is working well because our focus is outside the church and not on each other. And I pray, Lord, that, that the forgiveness of each other is at the top of our priorities. We all have irritating things about us, Lord, and that's the human side of us. And I pray that you, 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 you smooth those irritations down.
You take that sandpaper and you just kind of, kind of work on that area in each of our lives. And I pray, Lord, that when we recognize somebody's ir- being irritated to, uh, irritating to us, that we think about our own irritations to other people. Because, Lord, it ultimately is about your grace and your mercy. It ultimately is about what you did on the cross. Mm. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. May He may give you rest. May He repair relationships. May, we, may He heal the wounds in your life. May He just bless us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.